You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, Pat O'Neill. Oh, hey guys, when'd you come in? <laughs> <laughs> hey Pat, thanks for, thanks for talking to us again. <laughs> yeah. It has, of course, been a while, and we had the idea to do an episode primarily focused on the self-titled LP, the self-titled Skin Crime LP on Hospital that came out in 2003. And in addition to Pat being on this episode, we are also going to hear from Dominic Fernow and some of his memories of putting out the very first hospital LP and how it all came together. And Pat, this was, as we stated, the first skin crime LP, but there had been a CD audio pathology prior. Were you excited at the chance to finally do an LP is that what the impetus for this album was? Yeah, we were certainly glad to have our, our first record out and also just glad to, because at, at that time in the late 90s, we were playing out a lot. So we hadn't really been recording audio pathology. That was recorded long before it came out. Originally, it was recorded as a cassette for SFCR. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then he closed that down, moved to the States, and we reconnected in, on the West Coast when we were touring one time. We did, I did, we did that five-day mini-tour with Ron and Stimbox and Stefan hung out for a couple of days and anyways when he, he when he decided to start up the new label armed and loaded he wanted to release that but as a cd instead of a cassette which is what it was originally intended to be but since it was originally a cassette it was two long tracks and i just don't people do that as a cd but i didn't think like look if we're going to do a cd i don't want two long tracks it's obvious it was meant for a cassette mm -hmm. So that material ended up getting reworked into what became the CD. Is the material on Audio Pathology all, was all that material on the cassette or did you add new stuff? Oh, uh, it was a mixture. Yeah. Some of it, because it's, some of it is we took pieces out of the tracks and some of it was newer, somewhat newer material. But back like to the original question, like we were glad we wanted to get the album out because we had been doing stuff for a couple of years. It had certainly changed from the older material, but it's there was nothing really representing what we were doing now at the time at the time. Were you doing shows at that time still? Yeah, the album was like because that most of the stuff. Most of the, the two tracks on the album were both recorded in 1999. So that was probably around the same time, or that was actually shortly after. Actually, looking at the dates, between the two sides, we did the tour with MSBR. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. 
because that I think we did around March of 99. And you recorded, both sides are recorded in different sessions, correct? Correct. But the one, one in February, the other in May. Are you good about saving your original source material and your masters for your not releases? Not at all. I, okay, I am good at saving it. I am not good at labeling what is <laughs> what, who is what, and stuff like that. So I will sometimes find tapes that just have a bunch of random numbers, which I assume is a date, and but I don't know what it is or other than that. But enough about these sessions and have somehow archived them enough that material from these sessions have appeared on subsequent albums, correct? Yes. At this time, all all of these tracks were actually recorded at a friend's studio. They were all done live, but a friend of mine in town had a was building a recording studio and we helped him out and did a bunch of shit with him. Gave us a chance instead of just doing home, you know, bedroom recordings or whatever you want to call them. We went out to his place and it was recorded. Everything was done live, but we all had our own mics and all the mics were mic'd up separately and we were able to get everybody's sound individually, even though it was all done live. You say everybody. Who's the personnel on this record? Now, that's a good question because I am actually not 100% sure. Because it was certainly during a, like a transition phase. I know it was definitely me and Sean, who was one of the original live Skin Crime members. But around that time, he started doing less and less because he just didn't like playing out as much. Mm-hmm. Mark was bad. I, I believe Mark is involved because that would have been like that would have been after he had moved back to the area and I'm pretty sure my friend Shag recorded on some of the tracks but I, I can't I, I've listened to him once a couple times and I honestly can't pick out any specific si- sound and go yes that's so and so or yes that's that person other than I can tell what Sean did because he used a lot of uh, delay. Well, that's one thing I noticed even back when the record came out listening is one, especially on, I think it's the A side, one channel seems specifically drenched in delay and one channel seems pretty heavily reverbed. So you're getting a, a different stereo picture and maybe on headphones it, you notice those effects more, but when you're listening to it in the room, it just swells in the room differently. What was the instrumentation on the record what were you using in the studio and how much of it was done post and in the mix oh everything was done everything was recorded live nothing was real nothing was added to it after the fact i know sean was probably using a lot of like he used to build stuff with contact mics so a lot of the metal sounds and stuff is probably him i was doing a lot of loops um, and then like my usual junk electronics and some of the, there's, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, there's definitely an MS 20 in there somewhere. Actually, probably it's an MS 10, I believe. Um, I 
not sure which of us was playing it at the time. But, and I think, you know, Mark was probably using either synths or like pedals, depending on, at the time, he, since it was like shortly after he moved back, he really didn't have a lot of gear. So he probably, it was probably just whatever he could find lying around that he brought up that day. How was this, or was this instrumentation different from what you'd been using even a couple of years prior, say like recording audio pathology or the other like mid nineties material? Uh, yeah, definitely different, but it was more akin to what we had been doing live over the last couple of years. Cause the sound definitely changed the more we played live because it's a, a live environment is completely different than a studio environment. Is that the only time that you use the studio for a recording? No, no. We, we never really, we never rented a studio or anywhere, but we had... And when, like we did some stuff that there's a studio called what was it Bernard Studio? We recorded a couple things there. That was a studio that was run by some of the guys who were involved with Japanese Torture Comedy Hour, and so we they had a nice setup space, and we'd go there and we recorded two or three times with them. One of the exciting things about the LP, especially when it came out, as we're discussing now, was the difference in sound coming from some of the earlier skin crime tapes leading into this LP and talking to Dominic, he said the same thing. That was the shock that it was this new turning point for the project, which was great and still is great, but it was definitely a surprise for people at the time that he would take the first LP and do something completely different. And I do believe that was the first time that he had produced something in what I would call the dead sound era of Skangheim, which still persists to this day. There are glimpses, though, on a few earlier Skangheim releases that predict maybe this era, the beginning of audio pathology being one a couple things on prenatal even start to hint at this more atmospheric dead sound as Dom refers to it. Was it a conscious effort on your guys part to start evolving into this new sound or did it happen naturally? I would say it happened naturally. It's not like we ever sat down and, discussed it and made a decision like i was saying is a lot of it just evolved from playing live a lot as you guys have toured a ton you know how it is it's you're not playing the same set every night but you're playing with the same gear because that's all you have with you each show is okay there's like similarities to the previous nights but you're this is what i like this is what i did it almost evolves uh, by the by, by the 15th set you hopefully have your shit figured out what and it's sounding like what you envisioned where the like the pre first 10 nights are just you trying to figure out figure it out what were the cities you played with msbr was it east coast uh, yeah we did we did i think we did we did boston providence port lewiston maine and 
New York, I think. I think that was, yeah, Boston, Lewiston, Providence, New York. That's four. I, for some reason, I'm thinking we did five shows, but it could have only been four. Dom talked about the background of why and how he proposed the LP. I had been annoying Pat for years asking him to do various projects. I remember one was a, I wanted to do a hangman's orgasm tape that was packaged inside of a men's dress shirt. So the idea was I would take a dress shirt, but then sew sections of fabric to close off the sleeves and the top. So like the invisible man. So that the shirt was a bag, not just a shirt. And the tape would be like loose in the bag. And the idea was that it was like the shirt of a man who had been executed by hanging. And Pat said, no. (laughs) That sounds so amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it was simply a matter of presenting him with an actually realistic project. And for some reason at the time, he had just never done an LP. Also, it, it would be worth noting that there had been, I believe, the rumors of the HMO double lathe LP that Spite was supposed to do that had not yet surfaced, which later on became used in the Unknowns collaboration. Now, that being said, I had absolutely no resources to do it whatsoever and had no idea how to press a record. So it took forever. It took years. And he took forever sending me the master. And when he did send the master, there were two versions and two completely different mixes. So I went with what I thought at the time was the noisier, heavier mix. They're both great, but I thought I was cool and wanted the more harsher one. At the time, there are a lot of labels. I had been, there's there's always projects you talk about that never come to fruition. I saw a while ago, somebody posted like a newsletter from uh, Slaughter Productions. And one of the things that Marco mentions coming out in the works for next year is a Hangman's Orgasm album. Which, wish it had happened. Really wish it had happened. (laughs) But one of those those things lost to the ages. Yeah, and speaking of, Hangman's Orgasm certainly predicts a bit of what skin crime would ultimately become in oh de- the definitely LP and definitely era, yeah. a lot of that elements got worked into because it's basically skin crime became less and less just pure harsh noise we tried to incorporate everything into it and a lot of it was just like what we felt like and that's one of the things that was fun and, and still everybody brings their own sound to the table and I got more I always prefer I've only ever played live by myself once and I hate doing it because I get inspired and I like working off of what the other person is doing 
were you listening to stuff around the time that influenced the change in sound? I'm sure I was, but I, there wasn't ever any conscious decision to like, oh, let's make this more of a like this artist or let's make more of a I'm sure like a lot of stuff subconsciously has influenced me in everything I've done, but there's never been as like, Oh, I wish I'd, I'd like to sound more like this artist, or I want to try to sound more this style. We never sat down and said, Oh, let's become, let's stop being a harsh noise band and become a, whatever you want to call it band. And one of the incredible things about the LP is of course the art, and the frame of it being the Black Dahlia. Do you recall how that theme was presented? Was it something you guys talked about together? The, that was Dominic's suggestion and idea, because we had our, he, at the time, was obsessed over the case. And he was telling me, for some reason, when he, thinks of like the skin crime that's what he thinks of because of like the brutality of it because of the way the body was posed because of all the dark elements to the case the fact that it was never solved and never will be solved for whatever reason that resonated with what to him with what we were doing and he suggested that and i'm like yeah that's great i could totally see that I was, i'm in I was in school at the time and I was taking this class about femme fatale. That was a great, one of the only really good classes that I remember taking. And it was all about the headless woman and the Victorian era artists and the pre Raphaelites. And I had made a zine that was about serial killers and surrealists. That was never published, actually, but it was just for the class called Les Objets, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong, which is French. But here you can see the main motif, which was the famous surrealist portrait montage with the killers. And the whole zine was about comparing surrealism with serial murder and there's elizabeth short next to one of the riverside victims so here's a man ray with the black dahlia so i was totally into this black dahlia stuff as a hans belmer doll but i do know for certain that when Severed came out, that was the first time that I had seen the really clear autopsy photos of Elizabeth Short. And that seemed something on the level of skin crime. After being confronted with eye strain and whore butcher and that above average kind of imagery at the time, which now is superfluous and ubiquitous. But then it was like John Slogan said in that other episode where there was this hunt and search for the more rare, more brutal imagery. So 
for sure it was partially motivated by the release of that book. To me, Black Dahlia makes so much sense to pair it with skin crime. And maybe that's a bit of knowing you now and talking a lot. The that distant past, the the black and whiteness of it, the haunting nature of the case, to me, absolutely is connected with you and your work and especially your work in skin crime. It makes total sense to me. And to have those jarring photographs that are associated with it. Oh, yeah. That's one thing Dominic was saying is he had stared at that cover for so long, at that image so long that he's, dude, I can't close my fucking eyes without seeing that. It's like permanently etched in my brain. Today, really getting a chance to like appreciate the screen print and appreciate the size of the image, pulling it out and seeing the white shine through the black on the screen. It's really, it, it's perfectly done in it. And it's, it's not like just a throwaway professionally printed album cover. It's screen print. It's gorgeous. Like really lovely to look at. And that would have been printed by uh, Neil at Monoroid, right? From Sinking Body. That was, he did a lot of the screen printing for a lot of the hospital LPs, if I remember correctly. And that, and that was maybe the first pairing. You remember absolutely correctly, Neil Burke did the printing for this record, and there's an interesting backstory behind how this record was printed the day it was printed, and Dominic told us about that. The cover was printed by Neil Burke from Monoride, a men's recovery project, and he is an incredible silkscreen printer he he and i used to be neighbors and we would hang out and watch movies and eat sardines <laughs> and he had a ton of great cats and you the cats would blend in and you couldn't see them on the sofa because they were all completely black cats and he said that they were eating raw high quality steak exclusively with their food so they were really judgmental and elite <laughs> I love that. So he, and also Men's Recovery Project, incredible band, Vermiform label, incredible label, one of the best. So he was doing all manual, all by hand silkscreen prints. And he also printed the original Skin Crime shirt, which along with the Macronympha Nancy Kerrigan and the Death Pile and the Black Leather Jesus shirt. Those were the first hospital shirts, and they were all editions of 36 because his minimum order was three dozen. So again, it was always a cost issue. So they are editions of 36, and at the time, I also thought I was cool and wanted to be different and not do black shirts, with the exception, obviously, the black with the Jesus had to be black, but... The death pile was gray and it was intended to be like concrete. The Nancy Kerrigan shirt was blue for ice and the skin crime was green for gangrene. Those shirts also have catalog numbers. So they're like official releases, obviously a different world. Now, back then it was pretty rare to see noise shirts. Definitely. No, those shirts were stuff of legend once they were gone. Yeah, he did all those. And he did the covers and he, which by today's standards, I'm sure 
it's changed a lot, but he was really old school. He did everything manually in the really cool studio. And he definitely prided himself on getting pretty detailed and pretty fine prints. That is part of the success of that cover is it's a little less blotchy and a little more detailed in terms of the halftones than a lot of hand-done silkscreen stuff. So that is a credit to him. And the last thing I guess I would share is that the day the covers were printed was February 20th, 2003. And it was the day of the station nightclub fire with Great White. And we were listening to the radio and it was like the local news report of the fire and then the deaths and the fatalities as they were bringing one body after the next out of the club. And we were printing just that image of the Black Dahlia over and listening to this report of the station fire, which obviously was a great surrealist exercise. It was an exquisite corpse. It comes back to that zine you were doing. That's really the trajectory of that is really incredible it is worth noting there's a very few of them that have a red painted cover where it's the silk screen and then i just took red paint with like a sponge and it's super blotchy messy i think there's that have the red paint i've never seen i have one of them and there's also, it's worth noting, the very originals had a red metallic address label for hospital that I had at the time, generic. I used it on the magnified ceiling. Yeah, I was going to say that's, yep. The seal, the bags. If you ever happen to see one with a red College Street tear, that's a very original. And I don't think they all, I think I ran out of labels, so I don't even think that they were all like that. The size of the images and the way that, in fact, the cover being really the detectives the, it is the actual front cover. Yes. And the image of her face is actually the back cover because... I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of people get that backwards the technical cover is the detectives looking at the body as everything on discogs is incorrectly labeled and what a despicable monster those people created any user-built database is should be avoided at all costs you can't have the body until it's discovered so the story of the art is that way. And then the way the inside gatefold perfectly symmetrical and the fold goes right through the cut in a very perfect way. Yeah, the bisection. As Dom said, they spent a lot of time making sure that worked. And yeah, Tara, the actual quality of the screen print as the 2000s went on the word screen print a lot of times 
had connotations of imperfection, home done, etc. Whereas Yeah, we've certainly done some horribly executed screen printing in our time. Where Shields sure. screen printing was next level. And even still to this day, you don't see a lot of screen printed covers with this absolute quality. Yeah, the details of duplicating the pixelation of newsprint via the screen print, like really, it, it's fantastic. And as Dom said, it was all done photocopy. Every single thing on this cover was all photocopied until it got to this point, including the Skin Crime logo that is placed on the bottom of the front and back as well as on the label according to dom that is actually a xerox of the cover of audio pathology yes the funny thing in retrospect was that the logo was a photocopy of the cover of audio pathology cd which was screen printed on the tar paper so i felt oh we should keep that trajectory because that was the only real and first skin crime cd so the first skin crime lp should still have silk screen but in in retrospect it's pretty funny to just take the cover of a album and shrink it down and have that be the logo on the next album yeah so it is literally the, the reduced on a photocopy machine cover of audio pathology because it was all done by hand. The only thing that was computer was the B-side center lid. That's a clever way to get that. It's pretty amazing. And I love his idea behind why he did that. So I would do a whole things... episode with him just talking about Xerox technique. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So all these things really came together to create this, this LP, but as it was back in the day and certainly still can be in modern times, this did take a while to finally see the light of day. Do you remember when you did send Dom the master and how you sent it to him? Because according to him, there were multiple takes that were originally sent? Yes, everything had already been recorded. And everything I sent him, I believe, at least five tracks to choose from. And I told him, like, with a page or two description of my thoughts on, it was like, these two go together for this reason. Like, one of the tracks I sent him is the title track on ghosts i have been and but that's like a 30 something that's like a 30 minute track it would have had to been the, it would have been split so i'm like okay i like this track i think it would be good we could split it at this point but i'm not sure if i want it that's one i know it's a necessary evil but i'm still torn to split when you have to split a, a, a song off onto multiple sides due to space restrictions. It was, thank God we're not trying to do this on eight track, but <laughs> but even with an album, it's just like trying to get the wanting to preserve the full piece as opposed to like part A and part B. I've it's it's always a, ju a juggling act. 
like this stuff I was thinking of there was this this stuff that Dominic and I had talked about possibly reissuing at one point, but we decided against it because the, with with the track links and the way it's set up, there's just no way of viably doing it the way it should be on vinyl. It's got to stay in the format it is. So that track was quickly, I assume, put aside to not be the LP, but there were more tracks that you sent that would fit on sides. Do you remember in your mind what the differences were of the mixes and or what you were thinking at least about the differences of the mixes? I don't remember. I know there were other tracks, but I don't know. I don't think there were different mixes. I think they might've been just different stuff from around the, time period which may or may not have appeared elsewhere as i was saying i'm bad i'm, I'm good at keeping our, our archives but not good at labeling stuff those could have ended up somewhere else but where I, at this point in my life i couldn't tell you because that memory thing they have ended up i can tell you one place that they have ended up and that being on the 20 CD box set because there's a entire CD that is devoted to the stuff that was not on the LP. But those were completely different mixes, I believe, because what those were is the guy who student, the guy, Mike, whose studio we were using just did his own mix playing around more, huh. more just, it wasn't a like, Hey, can you mix these down for a release or something? He was just playing around and remixed those tracks and gave them to me and those got lost in a box somewhere for decades and it wasn't till i was going through everything when dominic was putting together the box set and i was like hey i found these do you want to hear them and he was like hell yes wow yeah so that's it's great where those came from the studio guy labeled it very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and it is really great because leading up to this discussion, we went through all those extra stuff. We went through the LP multiple times as well as Ghost I've Been and as well as House on the Cliff because according to you, the A-side is also done on the same day. Is that correct? Yes, the A-side on uh, House on the Cliff, the last track on Ghost I Have Been and the first track on the self-titled LP were all recorded on the same day. The last track and must then as well... Must have been a good day. Must have been a good day. We got three right? tracks out of it. So the But is the, the last track on Ghost I Have Been or the title track? The last track, because the title track is, I think, the third track, and it's thirty something. That's the thirty minute. That's yeah. the that's the thirty minute one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the final track, we don't go there anymore, was done on the same day as side A. Yes. So, so you do like you said, you're not good at labeling stuff, but obviously you keep everything you record and utilize it possibly decades later, possibly that same year. 
what is your thought process when you're putting together, say, Ghosts I've Been, which is a, a incredible CD, full-length CD, but with material from a while prior, is some of that material current to the CD? How do you organize these albums that have stuff from many different years? A lot of the times, even if it's not a huge time frame, I mean, there might be, like, I think Ghost I Have Been probably ranges from, like, 98, 99 through maybe 2001. Oh, okay. So, so it's not it's not like a 10-year difference between it. Gotcha. And my other problem is I hate going back and listening to my own stuff. I listened to the self-title album a week or two ago when you guys said you wanted to do the episode, and that is probably the first time I've listened to it since it, I said Dominic the Masters. Right. Wow. And a lot of times, and it's listening to your own music, it's just like listening to another artist's music. Is You might listen to something you haven't you haven't listened to something in years, you're going to hear it with new ears, and you might be like, oh, hey, this is totally different than how I remember it. And sometimes I do, I find I need to step away from my own work for a long time and then go back to it to fully, it's, it, sound, it doesn't sound so familiar in my head. That's probably one of the reasons why it's like, it takes so long for to get anything done or any releases. Like, Ghost I Have Been had been more or less finished for years before it actually came out because that was when during a time when I really wasn't active. I was still around. I was still doing a, the label and the mail order, but and still occasionally recording. But I had, if you look at my discography, there's definitely big gaps in it. I love the loaded meanings potentially behind the title of ghosts I have been. It's so it's exciting to think about even discussing this, like listening to your old tracks. They're the ghosts of what you have been like trying to incorporate them. It's just layer upon layer. When you re-listened to the album, what did you think? I thought I was like, wow, this is a weird one <laughs> because it was just, it is in some ways, like you were saying, transitional. And it's also because it has a lot of elements. Um, and also part, part of it was just like, I have, I hadn't played with Sean in the 20 year, 20 something years, like hearing the stuff we had done with him is just, wow, that's, it's nothing like what we were doing before doing since. Was Traveler on the Road all new stuff or was that some material pulled from the past? That was all new. That was recorded, Traveler on the Road was recorded a month, a couple, like a month or two after we played L.A. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was a, that's the fastest we've ever gotten anything done. But at the time, we had talked to Dominic about going to Europe and playing a couple of shows in Europe. So he wanted to do... He wanted to have a record out to promote that. So that's literally a month or two after we did the L.A. show, 
Mark and I got together and started working, put that together. Since the 2017 or so, when you guys really started playing a lot more again, do you record everything you do as far as rehearsal for a show? And then maybe, like you said, after a show, you get back and try to capture that. Do you guys hit record on every single thing you do? We do now just because of how easy it is. Now it is literally you just hit record and you've got a high quality recorder that's going to it's it's not like it's not like 20, 30 years ago where you had to set up a bunch of mics or actually setting up to record something was work. Now it's just plug, plug, plug your shit in, hit record, you're good to go. So, yeah, we pretty much we record. Almost everything we do, a lot just never gets touched. Like I said, a lot of it just gets, we'll record a bunch of stuff and then just sit on it. And I, for example, I just a few within the past couple months finished going through some stuff we did in like 2020, 2021. So it was only two years old. That's not too bad. You said now it's very easy just to go ahead and hit record. What was the predominant recording style for Skin Crime in the 90s? Four track, live mic set up on amps, direct into the four track, a little bit of everything. What was your general recording style for a lot of those tapes in the 90s? The first, the old tapes, the first handful of tapes was all done multi-track with just me. It wasn't until we started playing live that other people got involved. But I would say like the first up through like audio pathology was actually probably the first thing that wasn't me solo. Everything up to then would have been and that would an audio pathology and or I don't well no, because the bloodlust tape urge came out pre-audio pathology and that was definitely done with the two of us and that was all live that was probably the first thing that was done all straight live recordings but oh, most okay of it so was, yeah most of it was just mic'd up amps straight to death gotcha so like desecration is multi-layering and you and it's you yeah, solo des desecration eye strain poor butcher all of those are done cassette four track Right on. Do and you ever have anything playing on a screen while you're recording? Any video uh, yeah. or anything else? Yes. Yes. One of the last times, one of the last times I was up at or down at Mark's recording, we had some internet TV station that does like all old Italian crime films and exploitation films. And off the top of my head, I couldn't, I couldn't name the titles off the hand, but definitely some like Robert Zadar stuff and that vein mm -hmm. all going through all night that we that was just always on the background while we were messing around with stuff i'm pretty sure you mentioned that or even maybe even sent a picture of the recording session with something going so i know that is a way you guys operated and nowadays is that how you do it you go you meet up at marks to record 
No, sometimes we we probably do do record here more than at his house, but we do both. Mark has been the most consistent member of Skin Crime. Like you said, there's been other people who have come, who have gone, who have come back, but it seems that Mark has been the one that is the predominant other member of Skin Crime. Do you guys find that you just have a natural way of working together? Yeah. Back in the 2017 or whatever, when we first got together again, it was just like, hadn't done anything in probably 10 years or whatever, nothing planned, just plug shit in and go. And it comes out sounding those two tapes we did, um, you know, conquer a worm and the thing that could not die. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, He's just somebody that I, we have the same vibe. We're on the same, we work well together, I think. We don't have to sit down and plot things out. It's just, and there's been times where, there's been times where we've gotten together completely just, I just do some random stuff in a bag. Okay, what do I have? We'll just plug in some random stuff and go and something will come out of it. That's such a great, it's great to have someone like that where you can just, you don't even need to talk about it. You just plug in and go, and you, the wavelength is just the it, proof is happening. in the pudding on that one. Oh, absolutely. So, 2003 is when the LP finally sees the light of day. And back then, releases came out in a very different way. And Dominic talks about the way it came out not necessarily being some sort of quote unquote release day. It just started getting out there and started getting to distros, started getting to triple R. Obviously you got copies. Did you do any shows around the release of the LP? None specific. We we didn't have a, a re- official release party or anything. And also, but you said what it came out in two thousand and three. Yeah, yeah. I th- by then I don't think we were doing as much. It had died down. Like I, I'm terrible at dates, so it's like trying to. I got these different things in my head, but putting them in order into a coherent story isn't always the easy part. My, what great brain. What? My brain's more of a choose-your-own-adventure novel. than uh... I was going to say, yeah. And what great movie really has a coherent storyline? None that we all know. (laughs) But yeah, no, definitely by the time that record came out and when we were all a lot more active in touring and, and really starting to release stuff, Skin Crime was a mystery, especially as the 2000s rolled on. There weren't shows. There was minimal activity, especially from skin crime itself. Self-abuse obviously was still going. But having that record be, in some ways, for a long time, one of the last things anyone could hear. Again, with the Black Dahlia theme, it seemed very fitting because it was this skin crime was a bit of an unsolved case uh, starting a few years after this record came out. So the, the mystery definitely continued. And then again, as we keep mentioning the mystery of this LP being 
very different from what people thought of when you heard the name skin crime, thinking of something like Horror Butcher or Urge or these King of the Death Match, right? And this record being the vinyl statement and being so different just added to the mysterious atmosphere of skin crime, which I think absolutely still continues to this day. I used to, I also used to tell people what, because Ghost Side had been pretty much finished for a long time. And there were a few people who I'd given copies to. And I always told people that I don't want this released till I'm dead. Because I thought that would be like, how hopefully not in the near future, but at some point long down the road, when I died, somebody who could be like, okay, here's the last skin crime album. Wow. I'm very glad it's out and you're alive. That's a much better thing, but I do. Only, that... only on, I'm only alive on the outside. <laughs> Absolutely. And so the, the record comes out, you're the activity is dying down. Do you remember the reactions to it at all and the reactions to the difference in sound or were you more or less disconnected? A a lot of people were surprised, especially the people who hadn't seen, had a chance to see us play live because anybody who'd seen us live over the past couple of years, it wouldn't be a surprise. There's definitely like going back, listening to the album, I can definitely hear sound sources that I used during the Huck Finn tour. And that was that whole tour was with Mark. Most of the tour was with Mark. He actually joined, I think, three three shows in. And typical Mark fashion, he showed up like in the middle of in the middle of our set, like on the third <laughs> night in New York. <laughs> Did he jump in yeah. on that set? No, unfortunately, that would have been good. <laughs> that would have been incredible. You would have Just been like walk up, plug in. So who else was skin crime on that tour? I don't remember. The first the first two shows, which were like I think Boston and then Providence, it was Sean and I. But the okay. third set with New York, because Mark wasn't there, is I ended up playing with Chris Cooper. Oh, okay. From Angst House, um, who was also on the tour. Yeah, and he would join us a couple of other nights during it. Like the, I can't, the set we did at the Relapse House, I can't remember what release it's on. I don't know if it's on the live tape or, anyways, one of the, there's a live recording of that out there that's Mark. Cooper and I playing at the in the relapse basement for it was like a private show for just who I wasn't um, open to the public show. It was just like all the guys from relapse and whoever else they wanted to invite that wanted to come to Bill's house and hang out in the basement and watch us all of us play that night. I'm almost thinking it was on the tape, the split tape we did with Proof of the Shooting. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm Bone Scraper. Yeah. That is live for sure. So that would add up. The B side of that was recorded live at the 13th floor in Millersville, Pennsylvania. There you go. Excellent. The A side was recorded at the best little whorehouse in the world. 
Yeah, we were just discussing that before. I, I, I like the sound of the best little whorehouse. Yeah, and that in the world. actually that is the studio where we recorded the the, the self titled LP as well. Uh, sorry, oh. I should have remembered that name earlier. But yes, that was, those were recorded at the best little whorehouse in the world as well. Fantastic. It's got to be a good one. <laughs> do you recall offhand? Because I do, because we've been staring and listening to the LP all week. Do you recall what's written in the run out? Oh, no, I do not. She'll be coming around the mountain <laughs> when she comes. Do you remember that now that I say that? Vaguely, I that was something that either Dominic or whoever cut the record put on. I don't think that was not something I requested. It's pretty amazing. Though. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's very amazing. And especially when teamed up with Black Dahlia, it all just adds together for this atmosphere that is really unmatched and especially at that time because this stuff when we talk to to john slogan and you and we've talked to you about this of course back in this time in the 90s even in the early 2000s finding a lot of this information crime scene pictures specific info on cases wasn't it it wasn't a click away. It definitely took mm -hmm. digging and it took dedication that you guys had at that time. Which is interesting too. Is I I think true crime had a big peak in interest in like the seventies and eighties, and then it died down because I remember like in the nineties, it's all the books were out of like from that time period and long out of print, you had to search mm -hmm. for them. You couldn't just go into a bookstore or whatever and get a book written in the last year or two maybe there were probably a few but like the i don't want to call them classics like certain cases you'd have to find something that had been written probably 20 years earlier and was out of print yeah not so easy what are your classics of true crime It's probably, I would consider just like the stuff that I got interested early on. And it'd be like, like Dean Coral, Gacy, obviously. Son of Sam, those, those cases seem to start the, and Zodiac was a big one. Zodiac, I think is, or at least for me, that's when I first started. It seemed like uh, you, you started seeing more and more. Zodiac and Dahlia, two unsolved cases. Will they ever be solved? I happen to know on good authority who the Zodiac killer is. I'm same. looking at you right now. Same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same. I do know that That's it true. is me. What about Dahlia? I highly doubt at this point it will ever be solved. Yeah. Everybody It'll just involved, be discussed. Yeah. Everybody involved in the case is long dead, I'm sure or close to dead. And I, I'm sure you'll have all kinds of stories, like you'd, same thing with Zodiac. Somebody will come forward and say, oh, my great-grandfather was the Black Dahlia because I found one of his diaries, and there's a completely coincidental, vaguely related something that ties him to the case. But 
no, there'll never be any like cold hard evidence. That book will never be closed. I agree with that. Yeah, just like the cipher that was recently translated. I never expected that, and I also I, I would never have expected that the Gilgo Beach killer to be captured yes. like he was. Or the Long Island, the original Night Stalker. Right. I So who knows? Have this hope because the Gilgo Beach killer, the Long Island serial killer, was so obsessed with looking up stuff about the case. I believe that he came across the seven inch, the Lucerius seven inch, at least was aware of it. And I will stick with that belief. Just from looking up stuff on himself. I feel that he, if he ordered, that would be even better. I will neither yeah. confirm nor deny those rumors. Yeah. yeah, can you turn over your list of everyone who ordered that seven inch, please? Mark Jamison is in the waiting room right now. Whoa. No way. We have is a he really? su surprise guest. Let's get him in. Look at this. This is happening. Listeners, I this is live. It. This is happening. We have another guest. Came to the show during the set. This is so perfect. Oh, I, oh. he's about here. There. No. <laughs> Mark, How are you, noise extra folks? We are hey. great. And Mark, this is so beyond appropriate because- Showing up oh, halfway through the set. <laughs> Only yeah, that's appropriate, a, right? A few <laughs> minutes before, Pat I have was to go to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Pat was telling usually us. usually wait till after we play to go start playing to go get drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this well, is it great. It my mind. Because <laughs> Pat was telling us about 10 minutes ago how you showed up halfway through the set in New York on the Huck Fintor. I did. I, I had to go refresh. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was a well worth it endeavor. <laughs> did you tell them that you were coming to that show, or was it a, or was it whenever you got to a show was when you were going to get there? No, I, I was there the whole time, but I just after I got my shit on stage, I decided I needed to. Get a couple of drinks for the show. <laughs> no, we're talking about we're talking about the tour we did when you were living in Texas. Oh, that's totally time. different show. I like this show. <laughs> I want to hear about you, this you, show. You, you you were supposed to join us for the New York show, but you were right, late getting was a there. Taxi situation. I don't know how to get around in New York. I think the guy took me for a joyride to make a couple extra bucks. <laughs> Ah, that will happen. <laughs> yeah. He's oh, like, wow. this, this, this local yokel doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he took me around the fucking island of Manhattan and then dropped me off at Knitting Factory, correct? Wasn't that where the show yeah, was? I think so. Yeah. Wow. Oh, so, this is... Yes, late. I missed the set, basically. This is incredible. I'm so glad you're here right now. And we've been specifically focusing primarily on the self-titled LP on Hospital. And Pat was having 
a hard time remembering exactly who was on what, who's on what side, etc. What are your memories of that record and recording that record? Are you on it? I just remember recording a few sessions with the boys, with Patrick and Sean and perhaps Chris and perhaps Shag. There was a number of different like group recordings that happened around that time period or, or before it leading up to that. I lost touch with Pat for a while. And then I, he mentioned that was coming out on hospital. I don't, it's, I have really no idea. Like I have listened to the record and I think I can hear me, but then again, maybe it was somebody else. It's also hard too, because I can't remember what any of us really was using for equipment. So I can't pick out a specific right. sound and say, oh yeah, that's uh, this person. Other than Sean, because of all the, d the delay he was using. Right. And then a lot of that stuff was post-produced by the guy that recorded it. So who knows what he did to the mix? Who it's it's hard to I never kept track of that stuff back in the day. And I'm honestly always asking Patrick, oh, is this one of the ones I'm on or not? <laughs> <laughs> Do you recall around what would have been the first release Mark was on, Pat? Definitely on some of the House by the Cliff, Cliff stuff. Know that for a fact. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can hear, I can definitely pick out what I'm doing on that stuff and just what Pat's told me where that stuff was compiled from. Definitely on some of that stuff. But Mark and I played live together a lot before we actually recorded together, I would say. I would corroborate that definitely more live shows than actually sitting down and taping anything. So it could have been the, the hospital LP could be the first like physical recordings that came out that the two of us were on, but we had played right. live dozens of times before then. Mark, what's your go-to piece of gear? Basically I have had a rotating or not even rotating, I've had a number of different setups. It basically changed every couple of years depending on what was the flavor of the month. And back then, it was never anything expensive or anything. It was always thrift store crap or just cheapo stuff. I remember back playing with Patrick, and I know on some of those recordings, I had that Yamaha tone generator thing. I think it's the SU-10 or something. I don't know. I don't remember. It's about yay big, has like a tiny mini shitty keyboard, has a hundred shitty sounds, but it was a good like tone generator when you ran it through some pedals. You also used a lot of contact mic stuff. Yes, definitely contact mics. And I remember the tour... The Huck Finn tour was bowed metal through a Rocktron Chameleon uh, pitch shifter reverb thing. So that was, I still own that and break it out from time to time. But and you were using the blowtorch on that tour a lot, weren't you? I don't remember. 
I honestly I don't remember. That. We need to yeah, pull out the Huckfin VHS. I want to see the blowtorch. Yeah, we do need to. Mark, were you on the tour with MSBR? Yes, did those? Did, that was a small one, but yes, that was. That was, uh, been, that was been short, fairly shortly after you got back from Texas. Yeah, it was actually. Yep. No, yeah, that was a great one. We played. What we, we played. Boston, what's What's the Louisville. theater in Portland? The Fine Arts Theater. Fine Arts Theater. You that was a very memorable place, one. Yeah. Yeah. So just, it was basically it was a porno theater. Oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, that just would have came. And it'd be great because, like, these sketchy guys and raincoats would come in and look around and see all these fucking freaks and be like, <laughs> what, what the fuck is going on here? And get all sketched out and leave. Yeah, I so, believe they just rented it out for the night, right? Didn't Crank basically spearheaded hosting that, didn't he? Probably. Yeah. They're disappointed by know. the fine arts. That's, oh, man, that's amazing. <laughs> And Mark, we were talking about how you have obviously, like you said, maybe not on a lot of the recordings in the nineties, but have been in skin crime consistently and for longer than most of the other people in the skin crime orbit. And just the connection that you guys have when you sit down and record, Pat was saying it's just something that's you don't even really have to talk. You can just, you guys are just have a very similar way. You know what you want to do when you approach. Is that how you see it as well? Yeah. We don't really belabor it by sitting down and having too much discussion because it's, it's just sit down and see what comes out. And we're usually on the same wavelength and just, that's why our stuff usually ramps up from, a minimal thing into something that's quite a bit heavier because it's just easing into it. But we're usually going in the same direction. And obviously, not only do the sets ramp up, but in general, you guys playing live really ramped up, especially from the hospital fests and more shows going to Europe. And obviously, we're all very excited for next April. As we'll all be yes, com- completely stoked together. for that. That's it's, gonna be, hell yeah. It's just we all so just, psyched to hang with all uh, you three got guys too. It's two, gonna two be guys and gal. It's gonna be amazing. What are you guys planning in general right now? Obviously, gearing up for Japan. Obviously, you guys just played recently in New York at the International Misanthropy Show gearing up for some new releases and recordings, uh, obviously gearing up for the set in Japan, but what is on the immediate doc for you guys? That, that international misanthropy show was very like last minute. It was like Dominic just approached us out of the blue and was like, Hey, do you want to any way you could play a show in two, like two weeks from now? And we were able, like, luckily, we were able to pull it off. It was, but it was not really anything I would call planned. As far as anything else, it's like now we're just trying to figure out what the hell we're going to do in April and at least try to not, we don't really plan a set beforehand, but at least have an idea of what we're going to bring and what works with what the other person is bringing. 
probably scaling back a bit because every time I've seen skin crime, it is a lot of stuff. Big up there. table. I would imagine you're thinking about scaling back a little bit. Yeah, I am the, definitely you know. looking into what I can ways I can minimize what I can bring. And anything I can condense, I've been looking out, can I get something? Instead of bringing the mixer I use, can I get something really tiny to use as a mixer? Anything to save travel space is helpful. Yeah, otherwise you're just going to be wearing one outfit and having a bunch of gear. Yeah. Also, it, is a, it is a definitely a task trying to narrow it down when you're used to having options. But I, I think in the end, it will be a good thing because it will probably make a for a tighter set to just focus on a couple of things. And a lot of times we'll get together and like won't even touch half the fucking gear we brought. We'll bring a we'll bring a whole bunch of gear and then pick a few things out to use from it. It, you can't really, we don't have that luxury when we're getting on a plane, though. But True. when you're just driving to somebody's house, you just fill the trunk. The trunk's full. I guess I'll leave now. Yeah, I was going to say, did you tour in vans or cars? Did you rent or just use whatever you got? Uh, varied. For the Huck Finn tour, we had a van. And I think with one of the, I think for the MSB tour, we might have, Rented a van? I don't remember. We though. did rent a van. Ron okay. re- Ron rented yeah. it, and then got and it was the biggest piece of shit. Even though he <laughs> he rented it from Rent a Wreck, which <laughs> actually <laughs> used to be that was a leg- I'm not making that up. That's I remember Rent a Wreck. Yes. And this thing was a piece of crap. Me and Sean slammed the sliding door too hard once, and at right at the end of the tour and it fell off it literally <laughs> fell off it wasn't on the side of the van and we're trying to we're sitting there in new york at two in the morning trying to lift this door back onto its slider bracket and it was a nightmare that's oh wow yeah so that's not like a, a sleeping in the van type of situation it's just no we had floors wishing. to sleep on okay yeah. Actually, Kyle from Ignivimus Records, who was hosting us down there, had a very sweet loft in Midtown, which we were staying at. So that was, I think the MSBR folks were actually, and Government Alpha were staying with friends elsewhere, but me, Pat, and Ron stayed at Kyle's house. Yeah. Yeah, because that was like, they took off something. They spent like another day or two in New York sightseeing, I think. And then right. flew out to wherever mm. they were doing the next stage of their yeah. trip. Mark, since we have you on, I'm super excited. I wanted to quickly just bring up how fantastic the ASM tape was that came out on the International Misanthropy series, the Mission Hill 2001. We just listened to that over and over again. Fantastic tape. What are your memories of that era? I I really appreciate you that you listen to that and enjoy it because that's that was basically my first real noise. That was my baby for a long time. That came up from basically me and Paul, my musical partner. That was us both quitting art school and just sitting around the house fucking around with shit and just hey we got something. <laughs> We have a definite sound here. 
And then to be fair, that Patrick was nice enough to release that tape for us back in the day. Or um, excuse me, Patrick was uh, nice enough to release our first tape for us back in the day. That was after playing. We played out so many shows, but never really recorded anything. So we put the tape out on Pat's label. And then Paul moved back to England for a while. Moved back to the U.S. And then we recorded the Mission Hill stuff. And it, it has a different feel than the pure electronics tape that Pat put out. But I think it's still ASM. It's, it's like me and Patrick, when we get together, that's always skin crime. When me and Paul get together, that's always ASM. And I can vouch for that because I went to England over the summer, hadn't seen Paul in, I think, a decade. We're all old now. We, I went over there and it was, both, it was our 51st birthday, give or take a month. We're pretty close to each other. We set up some shit. We recorded some new stuff. It sounds really good. Again, it's a little different, but it's still ASM. So hopefully somebody will. I think Patrick has dibs on that for a tape release at some point. Heck yeah. Can't wait. So it's like that band does a release every couple of decades or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's it. There's what? Something to be said for that quality over quantity, as they say. And there's a great story in the interview relating to Kazumoto Endo and a basement show, if I'm not mistaken. Again, this is so spur of the moment. That I don't have it at, at, right mm -hmm. at the front of my brain, but I'm getting pretty close to that, correct? What's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, about the basement show he played? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he I, he is quoted. I think I printed out the his the page from his old Microsoft DOS website thing from when he got back from that tour, and he printed it out and said Mark's House dot best show best sound of the tour. Heck yeah, yes. um, that, that's what he said. Yes, and I and and that is is we note a lot of anecdotes from that all the time and i think there's some in the interview in the misanthropy tape there absolutely he the, is he got the true new england experience by showing up and market lost his heat all right night. right <laughs> yeah so there was a the, lot of good stories he, you know, he doesn't it's not, speak. it's not the true new england experience without negative degrees weather and no heat he, uh, he didn't get you through the night <laughs> speak much english i don't know if his his spoken english is better now but at that period he didn't speak really any english and i brought, picked him up at the airport brought him back to our alston house no heat in whatever winter month that was and he was he just said to me so cold you turn on heat so cold and I was trying to explain to him in like very simple English that we couldn't turn it on. And then he ended up saying, you take me to a hotel. And I took him to a hotel around the corner. Oh, nice. Whoa. I was going to say, did you have an oven? Can you turn the oven? No. <laughs> That's him. So, yeah, he didn't stay with us the first night. He did sleep with us. I think it was warmer out the day of the show. So he mm -hmm. slept well, you there got, the no, night you got, after the show. You got the, the heat back on the next day. 
Yeah, maybe something you just like needed, that. You're just, you're just out of fuel. Yeah, I don't really remember the specifics, but the, the language barrier was brutal back then. <laughs> Wow, but yeah, it motivated you to get that heat going. That's gonna be us in Osaka, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna, we're all <laughs> piled together in one of the hotel rooms, and just the body heat of yeah, generations yeah. of noise yeah. will keep us all warm. Yep. <laughs> oh, man, so do you guys have anything else planned before Japan, or is that the next thing? Show lines. Anything, show rise, recording rise, anything. Like always, there's we have various things in various stages, and we certainly are plan on getting together a number of times before we go over there. But as far as anything like concrete, not really. Mm. With like everything in life, it's just finding the time to figure out what there's only so many hours in the days and finding the time to sit down and work on going through these sound files and figuring out what's what's worth using and where it should be used is getting to that part of the list isn't doesn't always happen <laughs> absolutely Man, this is so cool. I'm so glad that Mark jumped on. This <laughs> yeah, is so awesome. The impromptu <laughs> popping. I'm glad I could make it. It's a fun one. Much like those cold winters in New England. I'm going along and I've been listening to Skin Crime getting in the New England zone by reading Moby Dick. And so gets chilly in Moby Dick. Yeah. So the struggle that they go through in the cold months. And the wooden ships and the ropes all... That's a tour right there. All were great to read about while listening to the self-titled LP, while listening to Ghosts I Have Been, and especially the newer era of skin crime. It all felt like this could be some sounds that were heard on the ship hunting for that white whale. Or the Demeter. Oh, yeah, that would work just as well. Guys, this is so cool. I can well, never read and listen to music at the same time. Not e not even, not e I can't process the same two even things noise at once. Or, not even noise or ambient? Maybe if it's like real light ambient, but I don't know. My I just can't focus on two things at once, I guess. You have good focus. That's awesome. I can't with... Generally with music, Nothing with, with lyrics, yeah. but I, I, I like to set the tone and I had this feeling that skin crime would match up mm -hmm. and it totally did. So I, 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 I can't just listen to anything and read anything, but I will curate it. If it goes along with what I'm reading, then I can get into a zone, but I, I never, hear you. I've never tried that, but that does sound like it would make sense to like get something that's fitting of the theme of whatever you're it makes sure it is is it works together yeah absolutely we're all gonna work together and have a great time in japan in april i can't wait to eat sushi and drink japanese beers with you all this is going to be incredible and then not only do we get to do that, but oh yeah, we get to watch Masana, uh, we get to watch Linecraft, uh, we get to watch Genocide Oregon, we get to watch Purient, we get to watch all the sick acts playing. 
So it might explode. Get to watch. Yeah, so this is going to be. Yeah, we might actually all explode, which I got to say, if that's the end, I am totally. There, there are much worse ways to go. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> Why not? With that. Pat, Mark, this is so cool. Pat, this has been great. Mark, jumping on. All of this has been fantastic. And we also have to thank Dominic for giving a lot of great background info on putting out the LP and lending his voice to this episode. So a packed episode on skin crime, on the self-titled LP, and on what is going to happen here in the near future. So thank you, everyone. This is so cool to talk to you guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys all rule Gray, Tara, and Mike. Fucking awesome. Hey, man. Hell thank you. Yeah. You guys rule too. You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.